Amen. Thank you so much for being here. I invite you to sit back down, settle in for a few moments. Um, just a couple of announcements just to bring you up to speed on some things. Uh, number one, thank you so much. If you brought food out this week uh, for Angie's service, I know uh, Linda wanted me to thank you so much for your kindness um, and all your prayers and support, the text, the cards, all that stuff. Um, the family wanted to say thank you so much. And I want to thank you just as a pastor. Just uh, so many people showed up and, and served and brought food and everything. You made it so easy uh, and loved on the family very well. Just continue, if you will, uh, to pray for them um, as they go through this season of life. Um, celebrating, learning to celebrate uh, Angie's home going, but also uh, learning what it's like to, to not have her right there with them. Um, also, uh, Fran and Eric, who are often in this service, um, Eric's mom passed away um, yesterday of cancer. Uh, her her fight with cancer took a really abrupt turn um, over this last week, and uh, she, uh, in fact, Wednesday was kind of their last um, really long conversation day with her. So if you will, uh, be in prayer for their family um, as well. Uh, parents, as you get your kids in and out of everything with uh, Children's Church, um, over the next couple weeks you'll start seeing some uh, some new flyers, especially the younger your kids are. Uh, we've got our curriculum that we're expanding into some of our younger areas, uh, so you'll be seeing some new things coming out. Uh, so as you see stuff posted in there in the children's lobby and stuff goes home, uh, if you don't mind, I know I get tons of flyers and everything too, if you don't mind, just hold on to them for just a second, read through them and see what all's going on in there. Uh, we want to connect and we want to raise this next generation up with you, um, but we're excited about the new things that are starting off um, in there with our, um, with our kids. Um, so thank you so much for that. Uh, we are going to be back in John chapter 6 today. Uh, we did a little bit of kind of a hop around for the last couple of weeks, but if you're not normally here, we're studying through the book of John, the gospel of John, uh, and we're going uh, through this and just seeing some, uh, an amazing picture of who Jesus is, uh, who we are, and uh, the conversations, the interactions he has with people, uh, really, really where he draws us to. Uh, today, um, we're going to be in a section of John chapter 6. It's uh, when I started studying, started really studying through John in preparation for this series a while back, this section in John chapter 6 is, um, is, is something that I really read over and really prayed over because um, it's a passage I've taught before, uh, but some of, the, some of the, um, the things that come across in John chapter 6 here um, are really, really want some deeper study, um, and some of it is more than what we have time to do through here in, in this service, but uh, I really pray that God opens your heart to some of these thoughts that are in here. Um, there's some really great truths, and like so much, um, so many times in life, it kind of takes digging through a few things to really arrive at them and discover them and unwrap them. So uh, I pray that that's, that that's the kind of time that you have in God's Word uh, with us together this morning. So we are going to be in John chapter 6. We, we're we're going to pick up after Jesus had just walked on the water. Um, it's been at least two weeks ago that we were in that section of Scripture um, both visiting in where he walked on water and also where he fed, uh, as it says, the 5,000, but probably more likely somewhere between 15 and, and the low 20s of thousands of people um, there. So as we look ahead, uh, where we arrive is this. Uh, people were really following him. I mean, the crowd was big at this point. And they, they're on the other side of the sea that Jesus walked across, and they're kind of doing the, the math on it. They're going, okay, we know how many people loaded the boat, Jesus kind of wandered off by himself because that's kind of what he tended to do when, when things were going in a, uh, in, a, in a momentum direction that wasn't healthy for the kingdom and healthy spiritually for people. Jesus kind of jumped out of the scene. Um, so that's kind of what he did. He spent some time in prayer. But when they got to the other side, they did the math count. And they thought, okay, y'all are plus one, and the plus one is Jesus. So they were really curious. You know, why? How do we get to this place where, Jesus, you're over here on this same side of the sea uh, that everybody else arrived on? 
Um, but their curiosity is, is piqued, but it's also, um, it's also trusting. Uh, they're, they're, they're seeing the unexplainable, and they're kind of lingering in because all of these signs that they've seen from Jesus. Um, at this point in the book of John, God really puts on his heart to show us something interesting, I think. It would seem like in most growth scenarios, whether it's your business or whether it's a church, anything like that, if you've ever been in part of an organization that's been in a big surge time of growth, um, you always kind of hit those incremental marks where it's like, okay, attendance and, and numbers go from this to this, and it's like this big celebration, and then you just basically kind of have this inward instinct to just kind of keep pushing bigger, bigger, bigger. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. Uh, at one of the times where numbers are really peaking, he chooses that time to preach as, as kind of hard and as complicated as he ever did. And it, and it did something. It actually shrunk the size of the crowd down. But in shrinking the size of the crowd, it showed that there, was, there were those that really were being called by God and, and believed and that there were those who were kind of seeking the wow, seeking the all. So we see some of these divisions as we'll walk through here today. Like I said, we're going to be uh, John chapter 6. And if my eyes are picking up these numbers, these very small numbers, well, uh, this is verse 26. Um, the people had asked him how he got there. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you, are, you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Uh, what we're seeing and what Jesus is pointing out in these folks here um, is something that maybe many of us experience sometimes in our own spiritual journey. Um, they were kind of running off this gas tank cycle. Uh, they saw something, they experienced something, they heard something, it seemed to kind of fill them. They found some satisfaction in it, but they found that that satisfaction faded. What Jesus is trying to encourage them to is to get out of that cycle and get into a totally different one. Um, the people were there because they showed up. Jesus had very little food, but he gave to them, not in a way that kind of just gave them a little taste, he fed them till they were full, because that's really the purpose of the kingdom. Jesus doesn't want to just give us just a little bit of a taste to get by. He wants to give us so much that it fills us. We really get full on his grace, on his truth. But what happened was they were seeing a physical example of what he was trying to teach them the bigger lesson of. He was trying to get them to understand that if they would really fill themselves with him, then that, that um, emptiness that tank running empty, and then that starvation for more, that would be the cycle that they would, in fact, be able to break. Um, and and I, Friday night, um, we, we took our, our kids um, trick-or-treating uh, with some family, and after that, my, um, my niece is getting ready. She had, her birthday was on November 1st, and her and my, my youngest son are about a week apart. We'll be celebrating his birthday next, um, next weekend. We, we go out to eat for her birthday, and we went to a Mexican restaurant. And I don't know about you, but um, I really enjoy at this point in my life eating. Like, it's an event. I, I, like, I like some pizzazz with it. I like, I, I like, you know, I, I like some emphasis behind it. Um, I had a chance to eat with Linda's family this week, and there was like two or three dishes that just involved cheese and potatoes. 
I just felt like that was God's presence here even before the service started. I was like, this is, this is why, you know, you eat together. So I, I show up, and, and I wasn't even thinking about what we were going to eat for dinner, and I wasn't even thinking about what I wanted. But do you ever get somewhere, and it's like exactly what you wanted? Like the salsa's better than it ever is. I cleared two baskets of chips, just smacking my kids' hands away from them, and, and then just ate every, and just, it, I felt so full. And I realized, I know time's changing, and this is our lunchtime right now, so I apologize for that moment. But, but I felt full. I mean, I, I felt over full almost. Um, but very quickly, uh, it didn't take long for that to fade, even to the point I got home and saw the candy pile that I was ready to eat again. Um, and and that's, that is our hunger cycle. Um, Jesus doesn't want us to live spiritually in that same kind of cycle. Uh, feeling full, almost bloated on something, like it, it's almost too much to handle, but then in another moment we're, we're, we're sitting on empty and we got to have something right then. So Jesus is trying to walk them into this, this kind of understanding. So we know where he's headed. Um, this is their response. What can we do to perform the works of God? They had seen Jesus do some things. So this is their desire. They want to do what Jesus is doing. And for sometimes we may look at this and go, gosh, that kind of seems arrogant. Like, I mean, this is Jesus, the Son of God. But, but, but it's not wrong for them to want to do the works that Jesus is doing. I mean, think about this. This would be phenomenal if we could do, the, like, if, we, if it was just as simple as the things that Jesus could do, we could do. But what tells us a lot is what direction we would aim it in. So, like, where Jesus took a little bit and made it a lot, like, that's when I would do the works of Jesus on my online banking. Like, log in and just smack my computer and just watch the numbers grow, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? You, you wake up and you just feel like you're getting a cold and you just heal yourself because you just don't want to deal with it. Like, I would take the works of Jesus, but I would use them in, in, in probably, if I'm honest, a self-serving way. See, they wanted to do the works of Jesus, but, but the question then becomes, well, well, why do you want to do them? And not just why do you want to do them, but, but what, do you even th what do you think that they're about? And so Jesus sees this, this level of shallow understanding, and he sees this struggle, and so he responds to them away. He doesn't tell them they're wrong for wanting to do them. I mean, after all, Jesus told us himself, when he goes back to heaven, when we get the Holy Spirit, that we'll do greater works than even what we read that Jesus did together as the kingdom and as individuals here on earth. So it's not wrong to just do the work of God, but this is what Jesus says about it. He says, Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that sent him. So consider this. What is, what is primary to doing anything for God? Believing in Jesus. That's what enters us into the kingdom. That's what, that's what starts our relationship with God. That's what our relationship with God is all about. It's all about just knowing him. It's about helping other people to know him. So as a primary function, Jesus tells them, look, you're seeing the stuff I can do and you think it's awesome. And, and that's not exactly wrong, but please understand all the reasons that I'm doing these things are to show people who God really is and how much he loves them. And even when it comes to spiritual gifts in the kingdom of God, we, we mishandle them in so many different ways because we seek um, attention on our own or we, we seek kind of an environment that we want to create and we forget that we can only use a spiritual gift. We can only use those kind of works when God gets the proper attention. 
and people come to know Jesus Christ. So when we see the desire of people, he's basically saying, listen, I'm not telling you no, I'm not keeping something from you. But the way you get there is not just to go straight into that stuff. You get there by first believing in Jesus, the Son of God, the one that he sent. This is their response to that. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. In other words, like we want to do what we want to do, so what are you going to do to prove that we need to do it your way? They said, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, if, if you haven't really studied the Old Testament very much, um, there is this portion of the Old Testament in Exodus where you see the children of God having come out of captivity, uh, out of slavery. God brought them out of that. He brought them into freedom. Um, they then, they disobeyed him. And they complained a whole lot. And they wandered around in what the Bible calls the wilderness. Now for us, I think it kind of creates this mental picture of it's like Friar Tuck living in the woods, robbing from the rich, give to the poor kind of thing. Like they're in the woods, there's probably fishing, there's probably animals to hunt, all this stuff. Like what they call the wilderness, we would, in our American culture, we probably call desert. There were tufts of grass and different things. Like there was vegetation there, but you had to, you had to really go and find it. So when they wandered in what they call the wilderness, it was really a wide open space. That, that, that just There was no foreseeable resources anywhere. It was really a desolate situation. So when they complained about food, it's like as far as they could look, they saw space, they saw people, but they saw nothing that would meet that need. Well, even in their complaining, God gave them this bread-type substance from heaven. They, they woke up to it. In fact, um, he did it in such an organized way, he gave them enough for that day, and, and on the sixth day, so that they would still be sure to rest in him, he gave them a double portion so that they could collect enough to eat that day and have enough already to eat the next day when they were just resting in a way that they could really hear from God and, and concentrate on him. It was a phenomenal situation to happen. Now, there's several things that we need to learn from that. Number one, evidently the appropriate response to your children complaining is to throw bread at them. You thought it was just good for ducks, but it's evidently good for raising kids too. The other thing is, is Jesus is about to open their eyes to something. Remember, we talk about the signs that Jesus performs, and it's something that he's doing physically to teach us a bigger lesson spiritually. If you think about even the, the freedom that the children of Israel were given. They came out of slavery. God allowed them in their disobedience to go into slavery so that he could free them. They could, they could know tangible freedom so that they could learn about spiritual freedom, which was the greater truth. Now he tells them something about what the bread meant. Jesus told them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He tells them, listen, the, the, the point of the story wasn't the bread. It wasn't that God just kind of made it okay. The point of the story is that God from heaven provides a need for you. And Jesus' message, as we've been reading through John, think about all, how many times have you already heard I am, I am the son of God and the son of man. I am come from heaven to earth. It's this idea that he has come from God, 
for us. And here he's going. You get the bread illustration now? What has come from heaven was for you. It's what you need. It's not just for your benefit. It's meant to satisfy you. And that's what he's after. The bread lasted for a day. But what I can teach you will last ongoing. Here's the growth pattern. Here's here's the satisfaction pattern that really God wants us to get as we grow in Christ. Not just that we gobble something up and we use it out and then we we need more of it. But that we take in his truth. And when we take it in, it, it, it really satisfies. It teaches us something. And what it teaches us can stick in us and stay with us so we can use it over and over in our lifetime. As God teaches us stuff, it's not meant to just be good for the moment and then it's gone and we have to relearn it. We're really meant to to grab onto it and it to stick so that our walk with him doesn't just get close, but it stays close. And then it could even get closer. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. And now Jesus kind of cranks up the level of sermon, complexity, and depth. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of these he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus presents now a spiritual truth to him. He says, number one, bread, hunger and thirst. He's starting to kind of set some groundwork to the next levels of this sermon. He says, I'm meant to satisfy you and quench your thirst for all the things that you search for. The big question, meanings of life, meanings for eternity, sense of completion, knowing God, connected to him, having a purpose. He said, what this world is all about, I'm here to satisfy that. And he tells what the process is. He says, God is calling, right? Like He's, he's saying to you, come to me. And he says, those that respond, that come to me, he said, I will take in, I will accept. And he says a couple great things. He says, number one, I won't cast them out. Meaning in our relationship with God, even when we make our great mistakes, Jesus, Jesus never gets so disgusted or irritated by us that he says, just go away. But it also says that, that those that the Father gives him, that he will not lose. In other words, no matter how far we wonder, we don't wonder outside the reach, and the possession of God. That's called the security that we have in Him, in our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is not meant to be something that we wonder, oh my gosh, you know, what, what have I done right? What have I done wrong? Have I really asked this question right? It's true trust in Jesus and what He's done is presented as a secure relationship in Scripture with God. And He tells them this. And, and what He says up to this moment sounds pretty great. The crowd is not really, you know, totally thrown by this. But we're getting ready to see that Jesus is making some statements that's starting to not sit real well with people. Therefore, the Jews started complaining. I know that never happens in church, 
or in families or anything like that. But Therefore the Jews started complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? They're basically saying this, listen, we know this guy's mom and dad. We know the street they live on. Like, what, like where does this guy get the gall to say he's coming from heaven? Like, we know this dude. He's, he's from our neighborhood. Like, how is he actually saying these words? This doesn't make sense to us. Jesus answered them, Stop complaining amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened um, to and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Before I continue on in this little little section of sermon, I want you to understand something. Um, What you know to be true in life is is really true in our walk with Jesus. Um, People started complaining because what Jesus said didn't make sense to them. Many times when we hear God's word, it doesn't immediately make sense. It doesn't, it's not immediately um, pleasing to our ears. Sometimes it goes against what our nature wants to believe is okay. Jesus gives a basic strategy of how to deal with that moment. He says, number one, we have to stop complaining. What does complaining do? It breeds more complaining. It breeds dissension. Um, It it starts arguments. It divides the room. If you don't believe me, um, I I will leave at least two of the three of my sons with you. And and I'll give you a couple of topics to bring up. um, And you bring those topics up. And and the complaining will start. And do nothing and just see where it goes. Try it. I know where it goes. And Jesus says, "We we have to stop complaining. And start listening in the moments when things don't always make sense and don't always seem to be at first what we want to hear. Because if we do that, we'll have the ability to hear not just the what, but the why from God as well. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, and he he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves. They they went from complaining now to arguing. They argued amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Ooh, gross. So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat of this flesh, the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink His blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, at this point is when the numbers are going to really start getting small. 
Now we know in, in, in this nation, in this community, in this church, we know enough about Jesus that we will listen to a passage like this. And in some way we'll go, Ugh, that probably didn't sound very good. Like cannibalism, generally not accepted. But we know enough about Jesus to we'll kind of stay in and say, okay, what's he really saying? And what we know that Jesus is really saying is, is that a relationship with God isn't in the efforts that we try. It's who is in us. And in salvation, that's Jesus. He's trying to help them understand. Religion for them was, was very much about what they, what they went and did not nearly as much in their understanding as who lives in them. And that's a necessary switch. It's a necessary step for them to take to not just say I'm, I'm good because I work hard, but I'm acceptable because who saved me. Now for us, we go, listen, to the crowd, if you've got questions, ask questions. He's not worth walking away from. But that's not exactly how they saw the situation. This is the crowd's response. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? You know, there's many things in God's word that if you sit down and you hear a basic teaching on it, it's not always the most popular story that hits the room. It's not always the most popular post on social media. There's some very clear things in Scripture that, that God says that doesn't always line up with our preferences. Whether that's the way we handle our finances, whether that's um, relationships and sexuality, uh, whether that's honesty, whether that's forgiveness, whether that's how we judge people, there's a lot of things that don't always line up with what our preferences are for some. Maybe for many. But the truth of God's word, if you just say it's just worth one listen, then that's probably the difference in being just kind of a sign seeker and being somebody that really seeks a savior. For us to worship a perfect and holy God, to say that's really who God is, then he's got to see things differently than I do. And, and if he does, and that, that experience gap, that knowledge gap is so great, then surely it's reasonable for me to think that i got to stick in and stay around and listen in deeper and learn more to be able to even try to catch up some and try to understand better. That's giving it the time that it deserves. That's the sign that our calling is from God, and that our trust is in him. So this is, this is kind of the small group reaction. Big group, ugh, I don't really like it. This is the small group reaction. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, does this offend you? Then, what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending up to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe 
For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, Don't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, uh, Judas Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. It's really interesting. There's this point where we see people hearing the truth of, of, of Jesus and, and how he presented it, and, and they got offended. They heard it on the surface level. It didn't sound acceptable. It sounded like cannibalism, practically, and they just got really uncomfortable, and they were like, you know what? Like, what you can do is nice, but like, this kind of crossed my line, which showed the sign that there wasn't that real deep belief in who Jesus was, because when you really deep, believe deeply in who Jesus is, then that calls us to stay around to really hear the depth of what he's actually trying to say to us. And some messages aren't real pleasing. In fact, if you, if you called it, Jesus asked his, his inner circle, the 12, he's like, hey, guys, how does this sound to you? And they went, ugh, not great. Like, we don't really get it. But their response was also, but who else are we going to go to? See, that's actually a beautiful picture of the, of the walk that we have with Jesus many times. Some people, I think, on the outside of church families that maybe have never been part of something like this or they're not actively studying God's Word, they're not growing in their faith, I think they look from the outside in and go, you know what, it must be easy for those folks. Like, they just go in, everybody's happy, they're drinking the same Kool-Aid, like, it's all cool, right? Like, they're on the inside. But I would argue for a second, if you're like me, to really consistently be part of a, a spiritual community, a faith family, and hear God's Word regularly... When I hear God's word, when I study God's word, even to be able to preach it, I feel like he is cracking it over my head and, and busting it through my heart. Like, I feel like I don't do things right and well enough. And I have to pray about it and figure out, God, what do you want me to do next? How do I need to grow in you? Like, wh what is it I'm sh I should do? I would, I, would, I would argue this with you. It is much, much more difficult at times, and it takes a lot more guts to come in and sit in, sit in these chairs and be part of a community group and really grow in your walk with Christ than it is just to stay away. Because whether we want it or not, there is bliss in ignorance. Sometimes just not doing something is, seems convenient. I mean, do you not lay in bed some mornings and just really wonder, what is the ramification if I just don't get up? Or if I don't go at least just past my bathroom? Like nobody wants to lay there and have to pee all morning, but like if I'm just like, you know what, I'm not going to leave this room. What really is going to happen to me? Because sometimes we just want to say, you know what? It's just better if I just don't try. But then we go through all, all the situations, all the dependencies that are on us, and we just kind of get up and start. Just think about for the second, if, 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 if we give up too quickly, what do we miss in our walk with Christ? Um, yesterday, we kind of had a unicorn day at the house. Not much going on. Like, we cleaned I found stuff I hadn't seen in years. 
uh, didn't realize we actually have four children and not three. One was in the closet. No, I'm just kidding. We only have three. Um, I mean, it was just, it was that day, like, we actually got stuff done. And if you have kids within the last 20 years, for sure, around you anywhere, for sure, you know, you know what this is. What is this? Nerf dart, right? You know, they actually have a thing now. One of my kids showed it to me. Um, and I think it was like in the Amazon toy catalog. Amazon has a toy catalog. Sears is evidently gone. JCPenney's gone. There's nothing called a Roebuck anymore. I mean, it's just, it's, it's all gone. But there's a thing that they make now. They actually, and, and think about the, the, the years and the miles you'd still have on your back, parents. There's this thing like a, like a sweeper that just runs across your floor and just picks these up now. Thanks. Somebody couldn't have solved that problem about 10 years ago for me? So I found one of these in my room. Now, I used to find these everywhere, everywhere. But here's the reason why I only found one of these in my room. It's because this coming Saturday, my youngest, my youngest turns 10. I'm out of the single digits. I'm in a mini state of depression. I did not want it to go this quickly. So as I found this, everything inside of me wanted to push back on this idea that my kids are just growing up. Now think about this for a second. If I push back on that and say, you know what, I just, I'm not going to deal with it, I'm not going to face it, what is it that I end up probably missing out on? The moments of now. Because to get away from them growing up means I have to disattach from them. I have to disconnect from them. I have to not think about the stages of life that they're, they're coming to and the ones that they're in. So in some way, I took a symbol of them growing up, and I had to go. You know what? It, this small thing was, uh, was a tangible lesson of a bigger concept that I need to lock into. And that's what Jesus was after with these folks. He presented them with a hard message. You can't just do good things. You have to take me in. And he said it in such a, such a sharp, specific way that it, they had to stay connected and stay with him and ask questions to be able to really figure out where he was going. And what was even the closest, the closest follower's response? Man, this is tough. But where else are we going to go? We're not going to miss out right now, Jesus, on what you're doing. We believe that you are sent from God. So even though we don't get it, we're going to stick in. So what does this mean in a tangible way for our lives? Number one, it means that we have to decide first, not what we think about the truth of God, but what do we believe about the truth giver as being God. Because if I judge my desire to have a walk with Jesus on what he tells me to not do or what he tells me to start doing or what he says specifically about different topics, then I'm judging based on a preference, not the truth that Jesus is the only way to God. That he is a perfect Savior, so his truth must be good for everything if it's good for one thing. What do we believe about the truth giver? And is the truth giver calling us? What does it mean to be called by God? Uh, are you seeing any evidence in your life that maybe you're hearing the same kind of message in repeated ways or, in, or from multiple sources? And it's consistent with something God has said to you or something he says in his word. 
Are you noticing circumstances and people in your life being arranged certain way that's, that's focusing your attention? Maybe it's on something hard or maybe it's on something joyful, but it's, but it's a clear focused attention. You know that you've been called and you know that he's speaking. Those are some of the initial questions that we have to walk through in our lives. And if we see evidence of that, what is the best thing we can do? Stick in. Stay and be ready. There's something that Jesus slipped in here that you, I, I missed it when I first really read this passage the first few times. And, and it was years ago when it kind of jumped out to me. I don't know if you caught what he said to his followers and, and, and just this message that's there. They acknowledged that it was difficult, that it was hard to hear and hard to process. And Jesus says, but what if you saw the Son of Man going back to where he came from? Now, John, the gospel is not written in order, but the, the situation that it's, that's written is written in the details of the event. Well, after this, after his death, after his resurrection, there was the ascension. And these disciples that struggled so bad figuring out, what is he saying? This is hard to listen to. This is not a popular thing. People are leaving. They went through this huge stressful moment. They were standing there and physically watching Jesus go back to the Father, go back to heaven where he came from. And in that moment, they watched the ascension. And, and, and there's these amazing dots that God is connecting because at that moment, I can, I can sense that probably his spirit was like, hey, think about this. Think about what you're seeing. Do you remember back when it was really tough to believe and it's been tough recently? Do you remember you stuck in then and you saw greater things happen and, and they, they were feeling lost and discouraged and scared because everybody they thought was going to be after them? And when they watched Jesus go back, they were like, hang on a second. He mentioned this when we were first struggling and we saw him continue to work. So what does that mean for right now? I get it. He wants us to stick in again. But they don't get that message if they leave. You know what's something else that I hope gives you confidence? And really some genuine encouragement? Two times in this passage, twice in this passage, it points out in advance that one of the twelve, one of the twelve was Judas Iscariot. Jesus talks about all twelve disciples as a group that he chose even though one was going to betray him. Many times in life, some of the messages of God, some of the truth of God's word, seems to come in conflict with the things in life that we think are out of control or are falling apart or, or can be torn apart by, by Satan's attack or someone else's attack. What does Jesus show us, even in this small little wedge of this big pie in this chapter 6? While many of us get convinced that Satan just wants to come in and he has this great power where he's going to destroy something, if it's the will of God, and when it's God working, Jesus doesn't fear the devil amongst us because he's in control of that too. See, Jesus was God. He didn't just know his plan. He knew the inevitable heart of people. And when he could perfectly see the inevitable heart of Judas to turn away from him, God's power is so great, he said, I'll use that too. When the devil thinks that he has 
one slight upper hand move on something that God is trying to do in your life, he has no clue yet that God is even using him. He's completely ignorant of it. Did he cause some what looked like conflict? Yes. But what ultimately happened? Exactly God's will. Sometimes on some days that sounds a little intimidating. Maybe even a little bit scary. But I pray and I hope that just that perspective on God's control gives you confidence in no matter what's going on in your life. Even in the things that look like are the most out of his control. He actually has that on the hook too. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second? We're going um, to end in worship together and have some time to connect. But before we move on to anything else, I really hope that you hear the truth of God through this chapter. Um, like the context and the subject of John 6, uh, I kind of had this thought in my mind just knowing I'm preaching through John going, all right, Lord, this is an awkward passage to read. Like, what, 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 what do we really need to see out of this? And in that time of studying and searching, I just saw God um, and, and just heard God and sensed God speak in such a clear way that just the hope that we can have in Him, just this, this understanding of His control, of being called by Him, of this, of this need to stick in and, and just this honest acknowledgement that, that sometimes our first hear, our first listen, doesn't always settle well. It's just this really transparent passage of Scripture. I was, I, I've just fallen in new love with this section of this book. So I want to encourage you towards this. I saw a lady come in this morning that I used to I used to stay at her daycare when I was a kid. And uh, they called us in a lot. Bad weather came up. Transition in the program for that day, whatever it was. They called us a lot. And it wasn't like a lot of places. You knew that you were genuinely and intentionally loved. So they didn't just call us, they called us by name. And when you got called by name, whether it was just to come in because they needed to see you, because you did something wrong, no matter what it was, when they called you by name, you knew one thing. When you went in there, you were accepted. And you were loved. No matter the reason for coming in the door. So trust in God's call on your life. If He's calling you now to begin a relationship with Him, then I want to encourage you to respond to that this morning. Come forward. Let's talk about that. If he's calling you over something else, just trust in that call. Trust in the power and the control he has in this world. And trust that you don't have to understand everything. It doesn't even have to sound pleasing to you right off. But, but if you stick in and stay in, the what and the whys that come to our understanding and our walk with Christ, the further and further we get, those connecting moments are not just needed, but they are just the most amazing gifts of grace that God can send to us. I really pray and hope that this, this scripture has meant great things to you this morning. It's brought some clarity to you. As I've prayed over it, the Spirit of God that He's given me, I believe, is one of encouragement, 
wanting you to know that if you don't understand right now to just stay in your understanding is not what his work hinges on that he'll still work that he knows exactly who you are and his call is personal he hasn't forgotten even though it seems like everybody else may have God thank you so much for your love your grace and your mercy Help us in this moment to worship you in truth, to honor you. Lord, to not just be loved by you, but love you well. Lord, I pray for boldness for those that really need to begin a relationship with you. They sense that calling. They know that something needs to start in their life. I pray that they just, they boldly walk forward, that we talk today, and we begin those steps together. God, thank you that we can know you in our salvation through Jesus, that it is not our wrong that just continues to keep us away from you, God, but it's his love and grace that freely and in a forgiving way, God, offers us a home in your kingdom. Thank you, God, that it's secure in the truth of who Jesus is. Lord, so help us now to walk faithfully, to remain in, to be honest, to ask questions, and to hope in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing, and this time we'll be open to pray. We'd love to pray with you if you'd like to during this time.